Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Five One Speedway Show. Hopefully you've managed to catch up. I say this at every single start of the last few episodes. Hope you've caught up with every single one we've done so far and you've enjoyed them all so far. Tonight my guest is a Scotland legend. He was probably Scottish number one at some point. Uh, he rode for a host of clubs, including the Wembley Lions when they came back in the 70s. So I'm sure there'll be some great stories there. Also running for Edinburgh, Coatbridge, Milton Keynes, and even had a season in America riding for Bakersfield Bandits. So that's going to be interesting to find out tonight please welcome to the show Bert Harkins <laughs> thank you Neil nice to be on here and uh, we'll see how this goes yeah do yeah have, do you have an interpreter for me <laughs> uh I can put subtitles in <laughs> that would do, that would do. Subtitles. <laughs> yeah yeah but how are you keeping Bert you all good yeah fine thank you yeah fight and fit and no problems touch wood yep mm. so all okay that's good to hear. That's good to hear. That's the main thing. And obviously, with the the pandemic we've had, hopefully you managed to keep yourself shielded. And uh, had have you had the vaccine yet? Yeah, yeah. Uh, been a golden oldie. I've had the first one, so mm. that's one to go. And uh, you know, I still keep fairly fit. Still cycle with a mountain bike in the woods. So everything's okay. No problems. There's no speedway, but everything else is okay. <laughs> That's all right then, but I'm sure you can find some speedway on YouTube or Facebook or something like that to keep you entertained. Yeah, I mean, I, I keep in touch very closely between Facebook and we've also got the WSRA, the World Speedway Riders Association. Mm. So I'm chairman there, so very heavily involved with that. And uh, with that, we've just opened up. Now it's not just riders who can join, supporters can join too as associate members. So that sounds pretty busy now too. Good well. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, at least it keeps you active, you know, keeps you doing stuff, you know, and things like that. Even if it is, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it just, it's a shame it's just admin work at the moment. You can't really go out. Obviously, we can't have any of these uh, dinners or meet and greets or anything at the moment, which is such a no. shame at the moment. That's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we've got the Speedway Museum over at Paradise Park, and that's mm. been closed because Paradise has been in lockdown, so... We've had to cancel some of our events this year and put them on perhaps late in the year, you know, July, September time. Yeah, because I think I've seen that the celebration of Speedway, which is normally happens in February, is now in the summertime. Uh, I can't remember yeah. the top of when it is, but it's it's going to happen at some point. Is it, well, problem is uh, with this pandemic, uh, we postponed it from February until May. We're going mm. to have a big weekend in May, but now we've had to cancel that as well. So. Yeah. Uh, quite unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. Well, then obviously you know more than me because the last time I heard was it was happening in May. That was the last time I heard. It was. Uh, <laughs> you, you're actually the first to hear this because uh, the news will be out on the Tapes Up magazine, which mm. comes out in spring, which is about two weeks away, and uh, information is in there, mm. and then it will be on the website as well. Mm. But uh, it's very unfortunate because so many people look forward to that weekend. And, uh, you know, we've got so many Speedway people there, riders, supporters, and uh, it's always a great event. Yeah, because I've been to the last few, last few of them um, and things yeah. like that. Um, uh, or yeah. last, the last one I had to go to was I had to attend the seminar there to do my machine examining course. So that was oh, last yeah. time I went and things like that. So, you know, but then yeah. I'd go there just to socialise. And when I was riding, fans come up and talk to you, you know, and I'd help support like Milton Keynes when they had a stall there and you had uh, Reading that had yeah. a stall there. You know, so it's, it's, it's very, if, you, if nobody's been to it, it's, you must get along to it because it is a must sort of mm. see place to go. Plenty of stuff to do and, and, and see really 
Yeah, yeah, but you know, that's part of the problem because we have the marquee with all the stalls in there with books and DVDs and such like, and it'd be very hard to place the uh, social distancing in there. And the same in the museum too, it's quite small. Uh, so that could be quite difficult. So we've had a few problems there, mm. but it will be back open again. Uh, probably in May, the museum reopens and uh, we've got some new exhibits here too. So we're trying to get those ready in time. So all should be okay. Nothing, it's not all lost. Oh no, 100%, I can't imagine it being all lost or anything like that, but that, that'd be interesting to see these new exhibits that you're going to open up and uh, and things like that, because I think the last new bit was the Ivan Major section, wasn't it? Was yeah, that, yeah. That was the last new one, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's still there, the Ivan Major display, which is very good. And what's happened now, we've had a load of uh, trophies from Jack Parker's oh. uh, son and uh, nephew, oh. and uh, some beauties there even go back to pre-war days, so... Oh. We've been polishing those for quite a while. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> Once we reopen the park, we'll be able to get in and, you know, sort of a new display. And I believe we've also got uh, like Eric Langton's Jap coming down, like Peter Collins was going to loan us that too. So quite a few things going on. And also there's uh, the Memorial Garden, which we have there for mm. plaques for deceased riders have passed on we've moved that now and it's getting built in a larger area and hopefully that will be done that will be done in time for our next lunch mm. and it'll be re reopened by michael whale who's our honorary chaplain so there's a lot going on behind this behind the scenes mm. <laughs> yeah that's, that's not very brilliant but we're busy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. You you always be busy in Speedway. You always be doing something, even if it is polishing trophies or someone else's. You know, even, at least you keep them busy. But to hear that there's going to be uh, some Jack Parker stuff coming down and Eric Lantern for myself being a huge Speedway historian, love love Speedway all through the years, and to hear that sort of thing, that'd be great to see because I've only ever seen sort of like Eric's bike. I think it was when they did the the Australian DVD profile on him. Oh, I've oh got yeah, that. Um, I've got yes. that, and I think it's the only time I've ever seen that. But to see it in person would be be awesome to see right yeah and as i say some of these jack parker trophies they were done before the war and after the war mm. so they're really fantastic trophies they're not just plastic bits and pieces so <laughs> a lot of polishing involved <laughs> yeah i can imagine so i can imagine so and of course you've got still got your stuff there haven't you yeah yeah my uh my last four five java is there and my tarted letters mm. and my uh the white boots and other bit like the Wembley and body colours, the Scotland one and Coatbridge. And in case any of the folks that are watching forget what I looked like when I was writing, a bit like this actually. You know? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> My hair used to be that long. And <laughs> when you see old photographs, I should actually got commission for making these wings. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, just brilliant. That's brilliant to see that sort of thing. Yeah, that, that's what the show is all about. It's just to have a laugh and a joke like that. That's brilliant, perfect, but absolutely perfect. But uh, also, if um, I do a small plug for yourself as well, because also you still got your book out and things like that. Uh, you know, so if yeah, people want to read about Burke's crazy time and speed, well, get his book. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, it's been out for this must be the third year, mm. and it's still selling. And for you know, for some reason. Uh, you know, a lot of people 
probably will have seen me ride anyway her buying it. And uh, we had a, a book signing up at Edinburgh in the supporters club and the queues were sort of around the block. So that Jeez. was really, <laughs> you know, really encouraging actually. Yeah. And the usual thing, once you've done a book, then you find photographs or stories that you forgot to, to put in. But yeah, it's gone okay. <laughs> Well, that's good. That's good. And it's actually a bit of pocket money for you, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's mainly just the idea was to try and explain a lot of things that went on in the Speedway for me anyway, uh, the different countries that I raced in and how th things were different to each country. So uh, I tried to make it a wee bit interesting for, well, hopefully, for the supporters and also for some of the other riders too. So yeah, because I, I think people like to see like uh, a rider's side of it, because obviously you see it as a supporter, but then if you get into the nitty gritty of it as a rider, you know, you're going to see yeah. everything completely different. Yeah, yeah, and I think for a Scottish rider like myself, it's very hard to break into the sport because in Scotland we only had two tracks, Glasgow mm. and Edinburgh. And when I started, there was only one, which was Edinburgh. Mm. And at that time, there were about 20 novices after the meeting, all trying to get a race or a you know four laps after the meeting. Yeah. So there weren't any training schools or uh you know academies or anything like that to, to help you you to try and learn it all yourself. Mm. But it was worth it because in the end, you know, you appreciate, you know, you've sort of worked your way through that. So it's been good. Yeah, yeah that, lead, that leads on nicely talking about your actual racing career. So that's that, that's pretty good. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, uh, that was, like I said, you're all raw novices. So where did you sort of actually have your first real skid then? Was it at Edinburgh or is it like a training track? There? Uh, no, there, as I say, there was no training tracks. It was mm. at Edinburgh. Uh, it made a bank. And again, when you used to have league meetings in the second half, and then after the second half was finished, they would let the novices out for a few laps. Mm. And uh, quite often you'd be out there and if the meeting was running late, Sandy, the groundsman, he would want to go home. So <laughs> you'd be halfway down the back street and he'd put the track lights out. <laughs> Brilliant. You know, so you had to find your way back. And yeah. Lucky I went to night school, I could see in the dark. <laughs> yeah, ate all your carrots, that's the main thing. You could see in the yeah. dark then. <laughs> but, uh, it, took, you know, it took a long time. It took me quite a number of years before I even got into reserve Edinburgh and it wasn't really until I paid my fare to go to Australia in the winter in 1967-68 after that you know I got a lot more experience and came back a lot better so it's always a good idea for a young rider to ride abroad during the winter mm. get more experience you know yeah, just just keeping active, and uh, and obviously, like you said, you you learn the by sort of uh, growing up because you do it all by yourself. You know, I mean, yeah, uh, the tracks are different, the mm -hmm. people are different, the food, everything. So it's it's a good learning experience. So was you part of like a, a a touring team then that went out there, or was it a case of that you you just went out there for the sake of it? The first time I went out, I paid more than fair to go out, and mm. at that time it was cheaper to go out by sea by ship than to fly out mm. and I had my bike in the you know on the ship as well and I just went out on spec and I got some rides at Melbourne and by the end of the season I did quite well and sort of got the Victorian Championship and yeah. 
some of the track records. So after that, they wanted me to come back. But in the beginning, when I got there, they didn't even want to let me ride because I said, well, you know, how good are you? And what can you say? I said, well, I'm riding a reserve for Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, well, we'll put you after the, the main event and see how you go in front of the, under the track lights. And I thought, well, they must have thought we don't have electricity in Scotland, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, eventually, to cut a long story short, they did let me ride. And it was uh, Victoria versus South Australia test match. Mm. And Johnny Bolger was in the South Australian team. And uh, they put me in. I won all my races. I beat John a couple of times and got the track record. And after that, you know, they wanted me back. I could stay. <laughs> so that was okay. But, yes, you must uh, be doing something right then, because obviously, yeah. like I said, you, do, you just kept coming back, you know, and enjoying it. That's the main thing. But uh, <laughs> what was your sort of memories of winning that Victorian State Championship then? Was it against like some top riders in, in, back in the day? Sorry, in, in the States, do you say? Yeah. Like in, when you won the Victorian State Championship in, oh, yeah, in Australia, yeah. was, it, was it against like some of the good top boys from the time? Yeah, just the top Australian boys like Jerry Dewhurst and I think uh, Jerry Bolger was in the movie, Joe Mary as well. And then Later on, you know, with people like uh, Ovi Funden and Ollie Olsen, Ivan Major, they all come over. Mm -hmm. So they were all, when I was riding at Liverpool in New South Wales, they would all come over and would, you know, have some dust ups there too. <laughs> <laughs> then eventually uh, I went back again with the British Lions touring mm -hmm. teams, uh, uh, you know, back and forward a few times. Yeah, got, got a few miles underneath your belt, put it that way. <laughs> it was quite good to follow the sun, but uh, being like a, a pale Scotsman, I didn't realise how strong the sun was. And <laughs> since then, I've been having, you know, yeah. skin cancer sticking off my back. And all <laughs> oh, brilliant. Barbecued haggis, I think. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, because that was your nickname, haggis, wasn't it? Amongst probably other things, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, a few nicknames, some mm. probably can't be repeated, but otherwise it's okay. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. We'll leave it for the X-rated version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but uh, looking back at, at your obviously your English career and things like that, you started off riding for for Edinburgh and you had uh, four seasons with them from '62 to '66. I can imagine yep. that that was it. Because uh, was Edinburgh in the in the top British league then, or they were second division? At that time, they were second division. Yep, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, but they were doing very well. The good crowds, a good team, and uh, what happened at Meadowbank was they had to close because they were building the Olympic Stadium or sorry, Commonwealth Games Stadium. Oh, okay. So they moved the track, moved the team out of there. Mm. And uh, that, when they went there, that was the first winter I went to Australia mm. with uh, Bill Landos. And uh, when I came back, they moved to Coatbridge to a different track. Ah, so okay. They just kept moving. Every time I went away, the track had left closed before I got back. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, Edinburgh have had a lot of tracks in their time, mind you. So Glasgow, yeah, right there. You know, it's, it's, it's if you ever get the, I think it's the, the Funk Speedway book came out like ten years ago or something like that. You look through all the all where Glasgow, Edinburgh, and places like that have been. It's, it's amazing how much the tracks have all moved around. Yeah, yeah. In Glasgow, they had the White City track, mm. and uh, that was a good home track for the Tigers because they're very long straights and tight corners. 
but I always enjoyed writing there. Yeah. But funnily enough, although I'm from Glasgow, I never wrote for Glasgow, uh, always for Edinburgh. <laughs> and there's always a, the rivalry between the two cities, you know, local derby. And the Scottish Cup matches were always something extra because uh, everybody wanted to win that. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine so. And of course, when you're saying that you're a Glaswegian sort of thing and you're riding for Edinburgh, of course, you're going to get a yeah. few more booze than for most other boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, uh, you know, the supporters yeah. on both sides were okay to me. You know, <laughs> if I rode in Glasgow, you know, that was okay. You know. <laughs> That's all right then. That's all right then. But uh, was, you, was you there when they moved to Hampton Park then? Uh, it was Glasgow went to Hampton Park. I was at Glasgow went to yeah. Hampton Park, yeah. And uh, yeah, they went from White City to Hampton Park. Mm. And that was, well, as you rode the outside of the football pitch. So the track was very big and uh, the stadium was huge as well. And it was too big for Speedway. You couldn't mm. get the proper atmosphere. And uh, it's also the track lighting wasn't too good either because right. it's mostly focused on the football pitch. So some bits of the track were quite dark. You go into the third corner, you need a helmet with a light on it, you know, a <laughs> helmet. Yeah. Uh, but they still get fairly good crowds there. But mm. as I say, as you're saying, they moved to different tracks. They went to Blantar and uh, Coke Bridge, mm. and they were better tracks for Speedway because the spectators were closer and the racing was closer too because... The tracks were not so big. So, but Unfortunately, um, Coatbridge didn't last. They lasted a few seasons, didn't it? And then it had to, had to be closed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Coatbridge was a stock car track and it was quite oh, right. deep bankings on one corner. Mm. And uh, it was a good track to ride. And uh, when the Monarchs left there, Glasgow went there. So it, before there was the Coatbridge Monarchs, then with the Glasgow Tigers. Coatbridge, so yeah. Coatbridge Tigers. Uh, so you kind of did ride for Glasgow under the Coatbridge name, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they just kept moving around. So I think they're quite settled now. I mean, the Glasgow's doing very well at Ashfield. Yeah, uh, they've really done a terrific job with that stadium. Mm. And Edinburgh have now uh, Armadale just outside of the city, mm. but they still get the loyal supporters up there. So. Yeah, because I've, I've been to both venues and both yeah. venues are, both, are really, really good. I mean, I went to Glasgow in 2019 for the first time ever. Yeah. I mean, I never saw the old Asheville, but I've, I've seen photos. But the, what they've done to it now, I mean, to have like oh. individual like pit bays and things like that. And yeah, like, the nice, there's nice people up there, you know, it's, it's really, really great to be up there. It was good fun. And I was mechanic at the time. So, yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, yeah. It's, no, it's done a terrific job. And they've done a lot for the riders, as you say, putting these pit bays and compressors and all sorts make, make it a lot easier you know before as a rider you just had to you didn't have these big huge toolboxes and <laughs> now you had a little yeah. cantilever box and you would sit on your fuel can you didn't have a director's chair yeah <laughs> Time oh, changed. and also you only probably had one bike then didn't you as well in the pits you did what I you only had like one bike or something like that in the pits wouldn't you yeah when the riders had the jab, they could usually carry a spare engine and you could change the engine between heats, actually. Oh, okay. You do it very quickly. Uh, but most of the riders just had one bike, maybe a spare engine. And uh, if you're good, you could have two bikes. <laughs> but uh, not too 
Agnabijo is probably the first with two bikes everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I think he was rolling up on his trailer in the back of his car or something like that, knowing him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously after um, Copebridge shut, of course, Wembley opened its doors. Yes. Um, the whole, pretty much the whole Copebridge team, I think apart from, was it three riders maybe, went all down to, to Wembley. Yeah, we Briggs, Ryder Ride, Brian Collins and myself, we all mm. went to Wembley. And that was another case of me being abroad and suddenly getting a telegram saying Edinburgh has closed. I said, you've been transferred to Wembley. I said, will you ride there? <laughs> it took about two seconds to write back and say yes. <laughs> yeah, in big capital letters, yes, I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that was, I'd been to Wembley before, mm. before I started riding, just as a, a supporter to see the world finals. And uh, the atmosphere was always terrific. And I thought, you know, the chance to ride there was something you don't get every day. No. And uh, luckily it all worked okay. It's a good home track. Mm. Quite, a lot of riders didn't like the track, but I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> there's obviously there's, there's photos of, I think it's you and a few other of the boys, like pretending to lay the track all in your suit, all your leathers and your, your race jacket on like a press day sort of thing. But yes. uh, did, you, did you as riders get much say in how to like lay the track and what material and things like that to use? No, not really. It was just down to the football people, really, because okay. uh, there's only a certain amount you could cut off the side of the, the corners for the football. So uh, we just had to ride whatever happened to be there. Mm. But overall, it, it was okay. Mm. And and I think the other claim to fame I had with Wembley was that when I was a kid riding cycle speedway on bicycles, mm. our team in Glasgow actually had a a set of the genuine Wembley Lions body colours, which ah. they sent up to us. So I'd been captain of the Cycle Speedway Mansfield mm. Lions team, and then I was captain of the proper Wembley Lions. So I think that that may be a record that's difficult to beat. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Two different sports for wear, like, wearing the same body colour. The same body colour, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Checking. That's yeah. cool. Uh, but obviously, I can imagine, because obviously, I don't think when your first meeting for Wembley wasn't until like the end of May in 1970, wasn't it? Yeah. When, that, after the FA Cup final and things like that. And of course, it obviously takes a while to put the track in and things like mm. that, because it was technically a temporary track. Um, yeah. Yeah, for like you, six, you, had, you had to wait until the football was over, and that was a big problem. Mm. You didn't have a full season like the other riders did. So when we started the season... The other riders were already race fit and mm. ready to go. Mm. And uh, so it's a disadvantage, actually. Yeah, because I think you, because um, I've, I've actually collects. I've actually started collecting that season, those two seasons, 70 and 71, my programme collections. And I think, oh, I remember, yeah. remember right, that you had your first six, seven meetings, was all the way. You never had, a, you didn't have a home meeting until I say, <laughs> the 31st of May, and that was against Hackney, uh, so. <laughs> yeah, at that time, our home track was Newport, would you believe <laughs> You ported wheels. <laughs> Local. And, uh, oh, and that was a pretty tough track to ride mm. too. But uh, it's very strange having Wembley Lions at home at Newport and Wales. Just didn't know figure out at all <laughs> no no, no. I'm, I'm just unfortunate really because obviously um yeah. empire stadium i mean the old empire stadium and things like that it must have been a, a great <laughs> atmosphere even for like the two seasons that you were there riding league race yeah. it must have been good atmosphere what was, what was the sort of crowds you were getting then that, that sort of time i think they started about 20, 
15, 20,000 the first night, I think. Cool. Then it dropped down a bit, but still got very good crowds. But being such a big stadium, you know, they were packed into one, one area. Mm. And uh, it still gave a good atmosphere. And we had to be in Wembley. I think the promoters should really have tried to keep the Wembley Stadium going for any team mm. because a lot of outside sponsors want to be be involved because it said Wembley. Mm. You know, they weren't worried about Speedway, but to be involved with Wembley was quite a, an accolade. Mm. Uh, so when we lost the Speedway there, we lost a lot of sponsorship too. Mm. You know? Was that down to the uh, the football then that basically sort of said, well, that's it, no more league Yeah, and... Yeah, the football, I think the year we finished, it was going to be like the World Cup or something. Mm. And uh, they're going to be using the football pitch quite late into maybe about June. And that was far too late to start the Speedway. So Trevor Redmond had to sort of close it then. And he had hoped to open the following year, but it just didn't work out, unfortunately. Yeah. It just seems strange because obviously after that you have like the 72 final and European finals and intercontinental finals all there, you know, as uh, yeah, you uh, think. And things like that. And you would have thought, well, you know, if you can run that, then surely, okay, put the the, the club on ice for one yeah, season. Yeah, team again. Yeah. And, then, and then the following year, it just seems really, really strange. But then again, at the time, I suppose it was a business idea by the football. They didn't really want it. It's probably too much aggro for them. Yes, it's a shame really that they couldn't get the team back there because when they're riding with lots of terrific publicity, like from mm. David Hamilton and Ed Stewart, you know, the presenters there. So they had a radio programs on Radio One, BBC Radio One at the time. And every week they would give a good plug to Speedway. And, uh, you know, I remember David Hamilton saying one time in the afternoon, he said, well, Bert Harkins will be driving down from Scotland now, and if you see him on the motorway, give him a two and you Because <laughs> <laughs> I had the bike on the back. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> so they gave us a lot of publicity, and speed was, you know, quite popular at that time. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, I think that that was the sort of Obviously, it's, it's way before my time, but looking back as a, like a historian to <laughs> Speedway and things like that, it was kind of like the regeneration of Speedway. Because um, the way I look at it is that is that all these clubs, like in the second division, were coming through, as well as some in the first division, you know, and things like that. And of course, Wembley was part of that trend of the new sort of clubs coming back into it, really. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many teams coming through there. And for like Wembley, with people like uh, Dave Jess Jessup, was all yeah. about. 16 of that when he signed for Wembley or 17 and uh, that was the start of his career too mm. so there's so many people came up with that era and just went on to do pretty good things yeah <laughs> yeah yeah he's amazing because obviously uh, Dave Jessup is a, a, lo a local lad really because he was he was down at Eastbourne first which is my local right, club yeah. Eastbourne's my yeah. local club so yeah there's, there's a bit there's a bit of uh, understanding there between uh, Wembley and Eastbourne you know we'll let you have that one that's our good ride just gone <laughs> you know that sort of thing <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah I mean obviously because you, you started off with uh, Ovi Funden as well riding for yeah. Wembley in yes. 1970 I mean that must yeah. have been a, a huge thing for yourself to think bloody hell we've got Ovi in our team indeed I mean he also you know, brought a lot of crowd into the away tracks. We went there too, mm. which was always very good. And uh, he was he was a good guy for the team, but he wasn't really a team rider. It was mm. just uh, purely all, all we had to win. <laughs> but 
to have them in the side it sort of give a big boost to everybody else and uh i mean he's over 80 now and he's still riding motorcycles you know? yeah like a couple of years ago he and i rode down to spain on our mm. motorcycles to visit uh split waterman down oh, right, okay. spain. and uh he still rides fast as well on the road <laughs> as he did on the track <laughs> i bet you had to be first one there didn't he? you had to be the first <laughs> <laughs> yeah I did try and keep up with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just too quick. It's just too quick. Some things don't change. Some things don't change. But uh, no, it's great to hear that sort of thing because obviously, um, and also I think with Trevor Redman um, as promoter, yes. all razzmatazz really and things like that from yeah. what I've seen and read and things like that, you know, a good bloke for the for the sport at the time. Yeah, I mean, Trevor's a good showman, a bit like the Ian Hoskins days up in Scotland. Mm. And he always had different things going on at Wembley to entertain the crowd, which was good. And uh, it was Trevor and Bernard Cottrell, the promoter who brought in Ed Stewart and David Hamilton. And in fact, David went on, he's still a Speedway fan, and he went on to, you know, announce it with riding as well. Mm. So he's still... He still follows the sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah it was, was it once it's in your blood, it's in your blood, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, and things like that. But yeah. um obviously on to 71, which was which was the last year at Wembley. I mean, um, yeah. did you guys have any in, uh, insights that you were not gonna run then in 72 then? Or was it a case of uh, end of 71, look forward to seeing you in 72 type of thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh with no idea that there's a chance of uh, the track folding because you get good crowds and good racing and mm. uh, never even thought about it. And once again, that was another year that I was in Australia and uh, <laughs> I was coming back through California and eventually I got this phone call to Frank Vary at Sheffield. Mm. He says, I've been trying to catch you all over the world. <laughs> he said, you're going to be riding for Sheffield this year. I said, what? <laughs> and, I, I hadn't thought about Sheffield at all, but anyway, I went there for a year, so that was okay. Yeah. But again, it was one of these cases where the rider didn't know what was going on, just had to wait and be told mm. what track you're going to ride. Because when Wembley closed, or when I heard it closed, I thought I could maybe stay with a London club and ride for Wimbledon. But for some reason, I don't think they wanted the Wembley riders to stay local so all get spread out all over the place so <laughs> can't, get much, can't get much further away than really in sheffield really can you sort of thing away from sort of london and things like that but how, how did you get on your season at sheffield was it a good year for yourself yeah i did okay probably uh my season at Wembley was probably the best one but uh sheffield was good with a good team there again right out was there too and uh you know, it's quite a solid team. The track was always very good. Uh, Frank Vary always had it like a billiard table. It's very, it's very, I don't know if you rode there, but it's very fast, and mm. like a D shape, mm. and you needed very good equipment. Your, your engine had to be tip top every week. Mm. Whereas some tracks you went to, you, your engine could be a little bit flat and you could still win races with it. But Sheffield, you had to be really on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those sort of tracks where if you're out in front, you're more scared of being out in front to know where the guys are behind you sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, because uh, 
you could pass it on the outside, the inside, mm. on the grass, anywhere. <laughs> you literally just cut the corner, you know, you're coming through, you know, that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. 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 But, but I just want to go back to the 71 season, because I've missed that a couple of things. So that, yes. that year, in that year, you, in the, you made uh, the British final in 71, um, yeah. and you managed to qualify for the British Nordic final that year as I well. Did. So individually, that was a good year for yourself on the, on the uh, road to the world final kind of thing. It was very good. I got so close to the final because uh, in the British final at Coventry, I think I'd finished about fourth behind mm. Ivan Brigo and Tony Lewis. I think, and then I'd qualified, as you say, for the British Nordic final, which was at Hamden Park in Glasgow. Mm. So that was an advantage for me. But the Saturday before the final at uh, Wembley, <clears throat> I was chasing all the Alton. Mm. I could usually beat most guys around Wembley but Ollie was too quick and in the second half he he was ahead of me again and I was sitting right on his tire tracks to try and see where he was riding and the bike just picked up and went straight into the fence and oh, so that no. broke, broke my collarbone and that was five days before the British Nordic final and uh, I still went up to Glasgow and mm. Carlo Biaggi, our medical doctor up there, yeah. he, he strapped me all up so I could, could hardly move. And I lowered my handlebars real low so that I didn't need to stretch yeah. and uh, move my clutch levers and stuff around. And I nearly qualified, but not quite. No. Uh, poor, poor old Ray Wilson. I was in front of Ray during the meeting and... I, I think it was really my fault. I was going in the corners too slowly because I was in a bit of pain. And uh, Ray came underneath me about a million miles an hour and knocked me off. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> With a broken collarbone. Yeah. And oh, poor old Ray, he did get a police escort out of hand him that night because all the Scottish fans were going to lynch him because I was the only Scot left in the World Championship. And there was. You know, I was lying on the track. <laughs> yeah, lying on the track with a broken collarbone, even in, yeah. in even more pain sort of thing. <laughs> but, yeah, because yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. when I was doing the research to all this and everything, and uh, yeah, seeing that you made it to the Nordic final, I'm thinking, oh, how far did he really get? And then it was like, okay, he crashed out in the Nordic final, which is unfortunate, but like you said, because of an injury more than anything that sort of prevents yeah. him getting there. But did, if you weren't injured, do you reckon you would have made the final in Gothenburg? I think so, yeah, because I believe the next semi-final was at Wembley. And then on to the final after that. Mm. And I think at that time, I think there might have been about eight riders qualified or something. Mm. So there's a very good chance that I made it, but that's the way it goes. Yeah, that's speedway <laughs> for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But obviously, I'm oh, sorry, carry on, carry on. No, I was just going to say, I, I did make a world final. It's the world <clears throat> best peers final mm. with uh, Jimmy Millen. <clears throat> uh, we actually qualified from Bellevue, where I believe would be England as well. So <laughs> <laughs> that was a little plus. Yeah, that was a little plus. That was. Was, was that in um, Sweden that you qualified for the final? Yeah, to Malmo in Sweden. Mm. I think we finished about fourth there. I think I think we beat England by one point at Bellevue, and mm. they beat us by one point in Malmo and <laughs> Sweden. <laughs> So it's a good experience. Yeah, I can imagine it was because that you and Jimmy Mack and things like that. I mean, it's hard to believe now that is, there isn't like a, a Scottish team or pairs or anything like that nowadays. I mean, yes. you look back yeah. at the old days in the 70s and it was yourself, 
Jim McMillan. Yeah, uh, George Hunter. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Edmonton's, yeah. And then later on, after I had retired, we did have Scotland versus England under 21. Mm. And at that time, we did have enough Scottish riders, you know, people like James Greaves, Kenny McKenna, and uh, quite a few others. So we had a proper Scottish team. But that only ran for about one season. Then the following year, it wasn't, uh, wasn't on the fixture list at all. And now there's only one or two young Scottish riders. So still got quite a long way to go to get back up there again. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Because I think, I think there's a few um, Scottish kids riding nowadays in the, in the yeah, British yeah. Youth Championships and things like that. Which uh... is good. And, uh, <clears throat> hopefully, you know, hopefully they can you know just stick in there and mm. make the grade and you know get up higher and keep the scottish flag flying <laughs> well you never know one day what happened might might, yeah. might get into the world championship or something like that or quite far you never know you never know but um, <laughs> it's good to see obviously like the likes of newcastle which are running like the junior uh, the uh, national league this season so yes. you know it's that's obviously going to give the kids like that an opportunity to to show their faces in that league yeah yeah because i think that was the other thing that uh the lack of the second half events mm. in Speedway now. Uh, it used to be that supporters could watch the second half and you could watch maybe an always getting into the reserve race mm. and then getting from there into the team as well. So you could watch a local rider progressing step by step, but uh, they don't have that opportunity now, which is a shame, really. Yeah, because I because I like the idea of the old days, the second half when it was like you said, you had the novices and then you had like the obviously yeah. like, the, like the scurry races and things like that, and then you had yeah, um, like you said, the reserves taking on the the, the top novice, for example, to try and get yeah. the way into the team. I think to myself personally, I, in my own racing career, if that actually happened in in that, then that would have actually been good for myself because I know running yeah. against the the better boys would have made me progress faster and things like that. Yeah. So maybe at National League level, that should be the second half. And you are fighting for that six and seven spot. Never know, maybe that's one day that might happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully the, the boys have got enough rides and they'll be able to progress from there up to the next league and mm. then just keep going and eventually get up to... Ty Wolfen did standard. <laughs> yeah. A long well, way know, to go, though. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Freddie did it yeah. in the fifties with for Wales, so you know you got. To... <laughs> yeah, someone's got to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Someone's got to do it. But um, obviously, looking at your own career again, um, after that one season at Sheffield, you got your wish and managed to move to Wimbledon for a few years. So that must have been must have been good for you to to go back to London and as again ride at Wimbledon, a great club to ride for. Yeah, Wimbledon was very much like Wembley with the organisation and uh, like the prestige of the place too. The track was always quite good and the stadium was a beautiful stadium and uh, they always had the centre green all very well decorated, flowers and grass and everything else. And uh, what a good team there as well with Brigo and then Tommy Janssen was there, but when we lost Tommy, that was a big mm. blow to both his team and his supporters too, because mm. he had the, you know, the, the chance he was going to be world champion for sure. You're just so smooth and fast in the bike. Yeah, but, uh, yeah that, that's that's unfortunate because yeah. obviously again reading about it and seeing your meetings what he featured in, he did look like a very good smooth rider, Tommy. <clears throat> um, but yeah. obviously he he was on Wembley's books as well, wasn't he? Um, yeah, for yeah. one season, but then he but he didn't do the full season, did he? No, 
he came to Wembley for you know, a few meetings anyway, and he was just starting then. And I could see that he was going to be very good. He had a neat style and he was, he was tidy. He wasn't wild or anything like that. And uh, I think he had to go back to do his Swedish national service. Oh, okay. And I was, I was quite surprised that we didn't get him back again, mm. you know, after he'd done that. But, mm. uh, you could see the potential there right from the start that he was going to be a, a top class rider. Mm. And then when he got to Wimbledon, he really flourished there. Mm. Yeah, because he, he just was taken by the fans. The fans loved him um, and everything. And obviously, like I said, the silky smooth style of himself, you know, was oh, was, yeah. uh, was very, very, very much so. Because I think I've, I've seen, obviously, uh, he made the final in 75, I think it was, <clears> at, Wem <throat> at Wembley. Okay, the Wembley track was a bit awful that night. Yes. But there's a couple of races that you see on the on that sort of ITV highlights of him in it. And you can see the potential of of the smoothness and, and how he oh, rode yeah. and things like that, you know. Because obviously, again, I'm talking way before my time, but I know so much about it already. But it's like, um, but yeah, it, it was good to see. And obviously, you can only think that he would have been emulates in like Michinek and people like that in the future. Yeah, I mean, he was so smooth, as I say, he wasn't a wild rider. And this is why it's so unfortunate that he had this big accident. Mm -hmm. And again, it was just pure bad luck with mm -hmm. it. And uh, when it, he was in. Wimbledon, and then he also raced in Australia as well. They're very popular over there too. So it's a big blow, I think, for Speedway in general to lose him, actually. He could have gone right to the very top. Mm. Yeah, he yeah, could then. Did, was you um, partnered with Tommy then at Wimbledon, or was you a heat leader of your own at Wimbledon? Uh, I think I rode with Tommy a few times, and then we rode together in Australia mm. on the same tracks there. So... You know, we always sort of travelled a bit together, and so he's a good, good guy. Yeah. That's good. Then that's good to hear because uh, again, it's, it's stories that I've never heard of and things like that. It's, it's what we want to hear and stuff like that. But with Wimbledon, you managed to have a little bit of team success by winning the London Cup in '74. So that must have been a great, a great highlight. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a highlight. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a a good. I always talk about the atmosphere in different tracks mm. and. Uh, Wimbledon had a good atmosphere, atmosphere too, and the fans there were, you know, quite knowledgeable. They were, enjoyed the speedway, mm. so that was that was really good. Yeah, I can imagine. So, obviously, like I said, you when you ride different parts of the country, you get to know different people, and uh, obviously, experience like I say, different atmospheres, and of course, different stadiums produce different atmospheres. So, mm. like like I say, Wimbledon was a mini Wembley, but you know, yes. it, things things like that. Cause obviously, you must have had maybe some Wembley supporters come there to come watch you at Wimbledon and stuff oh, like yeah. that. So, so you yeah. know, it was a good a good crowd pull having you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the, the first year that. Wimbledon, they, they did put on a, a meeting with ex Wembley and Wimbledon as well. Oh, right. And uh, also, which year it was when Roddy Moore came back for mm. the World Championship and he needed to get race fit and get some meetings. So they were going to put him into an individual meeting at Wimbledon. And I said, well, an open meeting. I said, well, why don't we make it like a team event? Well, Wimbledon versus my Scottish team, and uh, what happened was, you might have heard the story, but what happened was that I got this team of Scots together, like Ken McKinley, Jim McMillan, George Hunter, mm -hmm. and uh, 
I got kilts for all the riders. <laughs> and we wore the kilts on the parade. I'd also bought seven haggises, or is it a haggai? <laughs> and each of us had a haggis to give the opposite member in the Wimbledon team. So uh, when we were presenting the one in centre green, I gave mine to Ronnie, and he took one look at it, and he hurled it into the crowd. Brilliant. I think there was a, someone in the crowd got concussion, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that, I think the fans like that event because it's something a bit different too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I think, there's a, isn't there a picture of you and someone else in the kilts doing the Scottish dance over some swords? Yeah, Brian Collins. That's, that's right. it. That's it. I've seen that photo. That's yeah. a funny photo. We were doing the sword dance, but because we didn't have any swords, we had the checkered flag and the, oh, the right. yellow flag passed over. <laughs> it's sort of like Speedway's twist to it, you know, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. It made, made it a bit different for the fans, didn't we? <laughs> oh, yeah, because it's the sort of entertainment they like, because obviously it's the banter and, and things like that nowadays, you know. It's, uh, it's unfortunately, like I said to several guys on the show, it's uh, you know, it's a shame that we don't have that sort of uh, razzmatazz and, and stuff like that at, at the moment in Speedway. It's just, I think, a bit too professional in some cases. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to be professional, but you've still got to try and entertain the crowd because mm-hmm. Speedway is an entertainment sport. So uh, if you keep the crowd happy, then they're going to come back the following week. So you got to think about that too. But now it's so cutthroat that riders don't want to drop a point anywhere at all. And everything is so professional. Mm. I mean, it's terrific racing. It's good to still enjoy watching it. It's really good. But uh, it's just uh, almost a different sport now because the bikes are set up differently. The riders ride differently. The, the riding styles have all changed. Everybody's hanging off like the way Peter Craven used to do on a jet. Yeah. Right. That's him there. Yeah, there is on a t shirt. Yeah. <laughs> he did these things on a jet, which is almost impossible because mm. uh, those bikes were so hard to ride mm. compared with what we have now. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because obviously, again, I've seen very, very rare footage of, of Peter Craven and things like that. And you can see that the guy was ahead of his time with a lot of it. Okay, it was a short bloke, but he, he, was, he, but he was, yeah. but he was ahead. He managed to make it suit and fit his way of riding. Of course, whereas everyone was back in the day sort of really, really upright on the bike. He, yeah, just sat, he sat in the bike and it was just like yeah. he, he's riding it like a, like a sort of like a a 2000 sort of rider back in the 60s and the 50s, you think, bloody hell, that yeah. guy that guy was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I don't know if you ever rode a jap, but if he... Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you're lucky. If he hit a bit of dirt or a bump, he could take off, oh, you know, God. uncontrollably. So mm. to ride the way he was doing was very, very difficult, actually. But it suited him. It, mm. it went did well with us. Yeah, yeah. Well, winning two world championships, you know, that kind of says enough, doesn't it, really? <laughs> I think so. I think so. I mean, similar to, like, losing Tommy Anson, losing mm. Peter Craven probably had such a big effect up at Bellevue as well. Yeah. It affected the whole, the whole sport. Mm. And yeah, uh, I think it's those sort of guys that, you know... Um, like I say, they're, they're the likeable guys, the nice guys and things like that. And I think both of them would have given back to Speedway what Speedway gave them sort of thing, you know. Um, yes. I think I, I've got the um, Aces of Yesteryear series uh, on DVD. And I think yes. uh, it showed Peter Craven doing um, uh, 
training schools on the sand and the beaches and things like that. Oh yeah. And I can only imagine. Yeah, up in Liverpool, that's it. And I could, and I can imagine that if he was still alive, uh, he would have done that after he stopped riding and carried it all on. And you never know, you might have had a few more British world champions. You never know. <laughs> yeah, you just never know. I mean, mm. I'm sure you'd still be involved because you know, like always still ready. He's still involved, and mm. with Ollie Nigran up to two weeks ago, and yeah. they're still involved in speedway. Yeah. He still run training schools and all sorts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep themselves busy. But, uh, yeah, because my, my dad used to ride and Ollie Nygren used, used to be his trainer. So that's kind of cool to me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. uh, I think also with the Peter Craven situation that uh, the accident was at uh, Medbank, Edinburgh, mm. which had a solid wooden safety fence. Yeah. And I think if it had been a modern air fence like we have now, he would have survived. But... You know, it's just the progress we've got now is it's safer in that respect as far as the way the, the fences are as to what it was back then. Yeah, because yeah. obviously yeah. I, I, that, that sort of thing also I relate to is like the, the extra fence, which was the steel fence, wasn't it? Um, <clears throat> and things oh, like yeah. that. You know, I, I mean, I imagine even having extra as an air fence now and things like that. That I mean, it was narrow with a steel fence. <laughs> It'd be yeah. narrower now with an air fence. Too narrow. <laughs> yeah. We've actually got a section of the Exeter safety fence outside the museum. Oh, right. Okay. Part. Yeah. And you can see just how solid it, it is. Yeah. You know? So, and I always remember riding there, and when you went there the first time, they would tell you, you got to ride right up at the fence. <laughs> and I thought I was right up on the fence, and I got overtaken on the outside by a couple of Exeter riders. <laughs> I think it was Chris Blue and Chris Julian, and they were a bit crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You think, hang on, I can't go any wider. Neil, they come yeah. right around the outside line of you. So, yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously that, that that's a that's a good old track as well, Exeter, because um, again, I've I've never never saw it, I never went there in person, but yeah. the footage of it is like you go you go up and down down the straights, you go into these these big sweeping corners and things like yeah. that. You know, I can imagine yeah. like if you got stuck behind Major or someone like that who was riding there, I think oh, yeah. I've got to do, I've got ghosts on to try and beat him around here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I like Exeter. It's quite hard to ride, but once you got the hang of it, is is quite not easy, but easier, mm. but because it's so fast and so narrow, it looked so dangerous with a steel fence. Mm. So many riders, when they're going there for the league team, their car would break down on the way. <laughs> yes. Or they would get sick and not be able to turn up. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, I had, um, I think it was Dag Lobas who said a similar story to this on the, on the show. And uh, he yeah. said, yeah, because he, he used to love going down there and things like that. And yeah, uh, yeah it's just like a case of like, yeah, if you don't like Exeter, you've just broken down on the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it must be a record number of riders that either broke down or got injured beforehand. Yeah. Exeter. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I can imagine the excuse book was just for Exeter. You know, why, why did you go there? Sort of thing, you know. Yeah. But um, obviously after having a, a few years at Wimbledon for yourself, you decided to yes. go and ride in 1976 in America when they had the league out there for that. I think it was That's that right. one season. Now, how did that sort of come about then for yourself? What happened was I'd gone to California on the way to Australia a couple of times. Mm. The first time was when Peter White, the Australian, was over. He was team manager at uh, West Ham. Mm. And he was going back to Australia. And he said, you know, there's some speed we run in California. Then why didn't I pop in there on the way? Which I did. And uh, 
Harry Oxley, who was promoter, he mm. picked me up at the airport, took me to the track across the Mesa to let me see it. And I thought, well, that's the car park or a cycle speedway track. Where's the speedway? <laughs> they got 180 yards. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, gee, and you had a 500cc speedway bikes on that. Anyway, I, I raced in California quite a few times on the way to uh, Australia. And uh, Harry used to say, you got to stay for a season and, you know, ride here and make big money and all the rest of it. <laughs> and uh, they, they weren't doing very well, the American riders, riding about five nights a week and uh, making very big money too. I always wanted to come back to Britain again to try and get to the world, world final. Mm. And then one that particular year, 76, they said, well, we're going to try to introduce league racing to California. Uh, could you come over and ride for the team there? Mm. So in the end, they decided we'll give it a go for a year. And uh, <clears throat> initially, I thought I was going to ride for Costa Mesa, <coughs> excuse me, but uh, I was actually riding for Bakersfield, mm. which was up over the, the mountains, out in the desert, and <laughs> you rode there in the evening, it would cool down to about 90 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was tough. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can imagine it was, because obviously, um, you know, people don't, uh, assume uh, Americans sort of had league racing, but it did for like one season. Because um, I think um, I had I've had Bruce on the show, and he he mentioned that it was it was a good idea, but it just wasn't practical for what the Americans wanted. No, the Americans preferred just to see the individual riders. They would mm. support the individual rider, and uh, <clears throat> what happened too was that uh, <clears throat> instead of having race jackets, <clears throat> each team had different coloured letters. Oh, okay. But then the riders still used their own helmets because they were all painted <clears throat> so the fans could recognise them. And then they also had the second half with that as well. You had a team match interval. Then the second half was handicap racing and scratch racing. And the riders would change it, the interval and go back into their, their own letters or sponsored letters. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the two different meetings going on. Mm. But it it worked out okay, actually. I mean, with Bakersfield, <clears throat> our letters were actually purple. <laughs> and that's because the promoter, Digger Helm, he was a local undertaker, and that was his favourite co colour, purple. So. <laughs> well, that's a bit different, so, isn't it? <laughs> so the bandits were riding in purple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, obviously, um, in, in recent times, obviously, um, I don't know if you've seen, but Steve Evans has managed to get a tracker back in Bakersfield. Yeah, um, I saw that. Uh, yeah. Uh, So that's, that's, that's also some bit of nostalgia for yourself to see that sort of thing come back. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good to see it, uh, you know, coming back there. Because, uh, I mean, Costa Mesa was always just something out of this world when you went there the first time we went from britain uh, to costa mesa and a small stadium and it's jam-packed and you had like larry hoffman who was the announcer who would start off quite nice and gently but he would build up the atmosphere and by the end he had his jacket off he's jumping on the table waving his jacket <laughs> and the crowd would be going Bonkers, you know, yeah. so it's really a, a terrific, uh, complete show, not just mm. speedway, the whole thing was a, a show. Mm. So, no, 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 that, 
that's, that's good to hear. Did did you uh, win the league with Bakersfield, or did you? We did, did you... yeah. No, yeah. that's good then. Yeah, <laughs> that was something that was quite good actually. We're pleased to do that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but I mean, <clears throat> with Speedway, do it yourself. But excuse me, I I didn't use the like to eat before the meeting, I would always eat afterwards because, mm. you know, you can't ride properly in a f- full stomach. But yeah. Digger, he would take the team to McDonald's before the <laughs> before the meeting. <laughs> you know, so everybody's getting into blooming Big Mac hamburgers and everything. But it's still, you know, it's still raced okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's all right. Obviously, the diet system out there is a bit different, you know, things oh, like that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And the, the other problem with having a team event is the Americans never ridden, apart from USA versus the world mm. team event, uh, they never ridden league teams. So there wasn't any team riding. And I would try to sort of get my partner to team ride a little bit, but quite often, if I waited for him, he'd put me straight into the fence. <laughs> you know, so I was like another opponent in the same race. So. That never quite worked. <laughs> well, that's what you call proper team one, isn't it? <laughs> Putting each other yeah, in the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every, every man for himself. Yeah, yeah, literally, literally by the sounds of it. But obviously, yeah. after that, after that one season, you decided to obviously come back to that that's Britain, and then you um, where did you go after that? Was it uh, back to Scotland? Wasn't it for a, a couple of seasons? Yeah, uh, Edinburgh were reopening mm. again, so uh, you know, or before that, yeah, that's right, it was Edinburgh. They're reopening at Powder Hall, mm. and uh, they asked me to go back there and to be captain there. And by that time, I was living down in Hertfordshire in the oh, south. Okay. So when I rode for Wembley, I was living in Glasgow and riding for Wembley. <laughs> so when I signed for Edinburgh the second time, I was living in Hertfordshire mm. and riding for Edinburgh. But uh, that again was another fantastic event that the. Uh, Powder Hall Stadium was really neat and tidy, mm. and a good team and terrific crowd as well. So it's really, <clears throat> yeah, because obviously Edinburgh stayed at Powder Hall for quite a while. I think it was to like 95, yeah. 96 sort of time I stayed there till, and then obviously that's when they moved on to, to other places. But um, during that first season of you coming back, you managed to win the Scottish Open Championship. So that must have been nice for yourself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's always nice actually. Uh, that was held in Blantyre, that one actually, one of the classic okay. tracks, which was quite small, quite bumpy, but I liked it that way. <laughs> I preferred the the bumpy tracks because it slowed everybody down to my speed. You see? Oh, right, I <laughs> see, yeah. If you got the big fast tracks on Sheffield, people were flat out. And, uh, mm. I didn't like to go too too fast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it your own pace and how you want to do it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but obviously going to Powder Hall and things like that, it must have been been nice to be settled at a, a venue where you felt like it was almost like a, a Wimbledon or a Wembley with a great atmosphere. And of course, the crowds must have been huge as well then. Yeah, it was very good because uh, when I went back there, I met a lot of the crowd that used to go before the, the old team closed, actually. So it was quite a good atmosphere there. Uh, the fans were always very good to the riders, always, you know, buying extra bits and pieces for them. So, and the racing was good. The track was always good. Uh, Doc Bridget, he always did the track, and it was always smooth and, you know, grippy and good to ride. 
So we had some some good events there actually. Yeah. Is there any sort of particular uh, meetings or races that stick out in your mind from Powder Hall days? Uh, not particular, but uh, they're all pretty special actually. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on, after you know we'd all retired, Barry Briggs had put on one of his Golden Greats meetings mm. at Powder Hall, and uh, that went very well because we had a lot of the old riders come back, Dougie Templeton and mm. <clears throat> Willie Templeton, all the they all got Jimmy McMillan the whole lot. Yeah. So that was a, that was a great event. I mean, Brigo did a good job. He did one at Coventry, mm. a couple in Germany, and one in Scotland as well. <clears throat> so that, yeah, cause I, remember, I remember seeing them in the Spigrow Stars when I was a kid, the Golden Great sort of thing. I think it was a, for a few for a few years that Brigo did it. Um, with, with obviously a mixture of riders who do took part in it uh i think it was like you had like three or four different sections like you had like the 50s the 60s 70s and like the That's 80s right. and things like that so yeah, yeah. it must have been good for like yourself and a few of the other old, old boys sort of things to go racing again and try and sort of see if you can beat one another once more <laughs> <laughs> well the thing is you know like beforehand it's all quite happy, happy and friendly because it's going to be like a just a special meeting for the crowd mm. but once you put your helmet on and sit on the bike you're determined to win again, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and uh, what the track they made it very slick that night, so mm. that we could turn the bikes properly. Because a lot of the boys hadn't ridden for years and years; <laughs> they weren't all that fit. Yeah. And uh, Brigo had organised a practice about the week before, but I hadn't been able to go to that. So mm. when I went out for my first race, that was the first time I'd been on a speedway bike for. So many years with five years or ten years. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite funny because I made the start, I made the gate, round the first corner, down the back street, and I suddenly thought, what do I do now? You know, <laughs> like the corner's approaching, and I'm trying to work out what I should be doing. Yeah. Closing the throttle or holding it or what. <laughs> But I got around without falling off, so that was okay. Yeah, as long as you do fall off, that's the main thing. You know, that's, that's the last thing you want to do is fall off. But no, yeah, it, it's quite interesting because obviously, if you, like I say, you don't ride for a while. You think, okay, I'm going down the straight. What do I do next? Do I do I, do I turn now? Now? Or, yeah. <laughs> before you know yeah. it, you've turned too late or something like that. You know, it's just things yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because quite often you there's a spot on the track, you know, where you have to throw, throw the mm. bike into the corner. But uh, if you haven't ridden for a bit, you know, hundred years. <laughs> you don't know that. <laughs> no, you forget where that one spot is and you know, things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember that because when I stopped and I came back and did the practice and things like that. Oh, you know, it's like you know, you try and remember everything again, making sure you think, can I still ride? You know, and things yeah. like that to start with. But uh, yeah, because yeah, I think um, when you did the Golden Great, you had people like Yuri Stansel doing it, Anders Mitch Neck did it, I think. Yeah, uh, Ovi did it. Ovi was here. Yeah, yeah. And several other boys. So you know, it, I mean, it must have been like a a mini old world final with all from the old boys coming back. Yeah, I, mean, I remember the one at Coventry that uh, in the dressing room beforehand, <clears throat> there's like Ovi and I think Greta's missionary and all the, these other old guys getting cheesed into their leathers. And there's somebody, one of the younger writers come in and looked around and said, gee, that, that's like going back to the 70s or <laughs> the 60s. <laughs> oh, all the old guys were back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sort of like saying, have I stepped into the time warp here, sort of thing? I've gone back in time yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But the supporters really enjoyed it because 
you could see the riders that used to support. Mm. I mean, they weren't as fast, obviously, as before, but they're still pretty quick. Yeah. You know, doing what to do. So that was really good. Yeah, it's a bit like when you watch the uh, the Men in Black, things like that, you know, yeah. where, they, where they did their demonstration races on the old uh, Douglases yeah. and the Japs and things like that. Yeah. You know, it's exactly like watching that again. Yeah, I mean, those Douglas and Rudges, it must have been so hard to ride. Yeah. In the deep shield that had, you know, in the dirt track days. Mm. Because Brigu and I had a match race on them on the Douglas down in Canterbury when Johnny Hoskins put on a charity meeting, and uh, it was really hard to ride that thing. You know, (laughs) I mean, Brigu was okay; he was light trailing around the corners, Mm. and I was just hanging on trying to get around the corner. (laughs) But uh, I said to Barry, "Well, you know, you you probably rode at high beach, so you're used to all this." <laughs> yeah, Brigo's done it all. He's done it. He done it oh, all yeah. the means, you know, things like that. Yeah, because <laughs> because it is. Uh, it was the uh, what was it one of the anniversary meetings at Hackney when it was uh, Simo and uh, Jack Parker. Yeah, and, yeah, and you see Simo trying to ride this. Uh, I think it was a Douglas, or it was a Ryder, something like that. It was, yeah. And you see how how tall Simo was, you know, things like that. Yeah. Think, okay, he's not going to be able to slide that at all, you know, because he's just too long and gangly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's quite a long wheelbase as well, but they're still mm. very difficult to ride. Mm. And when you see those old photographs of the pre-war riders like trailing in the deep dirt, yeah, the bikes are bouncing all over the place. Yeah, it's brave guys. Yeah, because <laughs> at the museum you've got um, some of the old bikes there, and you and, and, you, and you look at them and you think, I'm like myself, I think you can't ride them you surely how did these guys even ride because yeah. literally, you literally like let's say you had to like a road racing kind of style really because yeah, they're so yeah, low to the ground sort of thing crouch down mm. but i mean the men in black they could ride them you know obviously not all that fast but you could still ride the things so yeah it's quite good to see them back on the track mm. but we've got roger and douglas down at the museum and uh Going back to Wembley, we've also got the Wembley tractor at the museum. The yes, original one. Yeah. The one that uh, you see the photographs of, mm. the world champion, the top three sitting on the tractor mm. with the, the trophy. The trophy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because uh, you, you, you unveiled that at the 2019, wasn't it? Uh, you unveiled that one, I think it was, wasn't it? Was it the last one uh, when you unveiled the tractor, wasn't it? Was that the 2019 you unveiled it? Yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah. Uh, but Brigo had that tractor in his museum right up at Donington. Oh, yes, yeah. But then that had to close, so he let us bring it down here. <laughs> so it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's got its new home, put it that way, new home. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I've seen that and I, I never knew how small that tractor was, you know, because obviously, again, only seeing photos and seeing images or, or videos of it. So yeah, far, you don't realise how small it was. Yeah, 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 they had to climb up on, on top of that. Yeah. I mean, they still had that tractor when, you know, the lines uh, were riding in mm. the 70s. I think the tractor dates back to 1939 or something. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> It's uh, it's lasted well. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Been well looked after prior to coming to the to the museum and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, no, just sits there. So that's it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's a piece of uh, speedway history. So you know, it's a uh, it's a very famous tractor. <laughs> so yeah, well, it's the only uh, speedway museum that's open to the public. You know, mm-hmm. sort of around the country. So it's quite good that things like that do finish up at the museum. You know, and we, you know, 
We've got, as you see, the Ivy Major display. We've got a Wembley display with the the old Twin Towers cut out. Yes, yeah, I've, I've seen that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then videos and ice racing bikes too, which are quite lethal. Yes, yes, that's something I'll never ever have a go at. Never. No, no. <laughs> I've been to watch it a few times, but mm. you know, crazy people like uh, Dougie Wire and you know Richard Greer, they've yeah. they've been on the ice, but too dangerous, yeah. too cold. Yeah, too cold, too cold for it as well. And also, uh, yeah. Bruce Cribb used to to ride a, and oh, things like that. Well, yeah. yeah, you know things yeah. like that. So yeah, I mean they're they're they're, they're crazy. So that's fun. <laughs> But it just shows the difference when Kirby did all these demonstration races around uh, different speedway tracks. Mm. He broke all the track records, didn't he? Everywhere yeah. he went. Because uh, with the spikes, it didn't get any wheel spin, just mm. pure acceleration. Yeah, and of course, you're not, not scrubbing the speed off too much either because you're just going in one big sort That's of right, yeah. arc on the motion and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it doesn't surprise me. You smash track records everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you just uh, roll into the corners with the throttle off, then mm. wind it on and come out the corner like a rocket <laughs> yeah it went away he went sort of thing yeah exactly <laughs> but um, just, I said, going, just going back to um, your career and things like that um, in 79 you moved around a little bit because um, you did you start the season with Edinburgh and then you went to Wimbledon again in 79 uh, <clears throat> after Wimbledon and Edinburgh mm. then I finished up in the end at Milton Keynes mm. and <clears throat> that was the last track that I, I wrote for and that by that time, it wasn't so far for me to travel either. That I was living about 20 minutes away, so it wasn't too bad. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, been quite a good career. Yeah, yeah. So what, what, did you, what do you remember of your last sort of season with Milton Keynes? Because obviously that was the National League. You've gone back to the National League to be, I assume, yeah. that was you the number one at Milton Keynes at the time? No, Bobby Humphreys was oh, number Bob one. Humphreys was him. And uh, he was, yeah, he was pretty good, really. No, again, it was a good little track, a good stadium, a little cafe, and uh, you would have thought like a, an area the size of Milton Keynes could support the Speedway team, but unfortunately mm. it didn't, and that all folded up too. Mm. But uh, no, I enjoyed it there too. That was a good, you know, a good season there too. Yeah. yeah, just an enjoyable season just to sort of maybe wind down and wrap up your career <clears throat> sort of thing. Well, I didn't mean to wind down and... <laughs> When I rode for, when Edinburgh came back, they were in the second division, but mm. I hadn't wanted to drop from mm. the first division, but the lure of going back to Edinburgh was just a wee bit too much, so <laughs> I thought, I've got to go back there. Yes. Yeah. So between that and then Milton Keynes, I finished up in the sort of second division. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Well, that's not bad at all, though, isn't it? Because obviously, starting back, you go back to where you started, sort of thing, and then obviously, yeah, full circle started mm. at Edinburgh and more or less finished at Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, that, that's good. That's good because obviously, yeah. not Just many people do in that. Between. Oh, yeah, yeah, you did the odd thing in between, I suppose. You know, you were Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But obviously, um, again, on, your, on looking at your individual stuff and everything, we you managed to become a South African champion. As well, yeah, yeah. In 1979. So, how, how did you do that then? Was it uh, an open meeting again? Yeah, I mean, uh, we'd got out there. There's like myself, Betty Root, Nigel Close, and mm. Alec Houston, who wrote for Edinburgh. He, he and Roddy Ferguson were promoting it out there in South Africa. Mm. And uh, we had a contract with a, a promoter out there. 
and what part of the contract was the South African Championship would be televised from Johannesburg, but they had a break over Christmas with no speedway, so we just went on a tour around South Africa down to Cape Town, and when we came back, we found our track in Johannesburg. It's actually Wembley, it was, and uh, the track had closed, oh, and the promoter had taken off, <laughs> and uh, we were supposed to still have our return fare paid, but he he had gone, yeah. and there's there's no speedway, but there's still this contract to with the TV company to do the South African Championship. So we formed a syndicate. We all got together and uh, built this training track just mm -hmm. outside Johannesburg, and we staged the championship there with the TV and yeah. big crowd as well, and. Uh, I managed to win that as well, so that, that was quite good. And the funny thing was that for the TV, Alec Houston was a real good uh, promotions guy, and he talked one of the trophy shops into loaning us a huge trophy, about four feet tall, for the championship, you see? Yeah. But it was under condition we gave it back afterwards. <laughs> right. So, I had this big trophy, but I had to give it back again. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate, really, isn't it? Because that would yeah. be a nice little mantelpiece. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's okay. It's just a, the title that we'll do instead. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that looks good on the CV. You know, look, the title looks good. And obviously, you know, if you can, if did you manage to go to South Africa quite a few times in your career then, or was that like a one off trip you've done? No, South Africa. I've been there visiting, but I'd only rest there one season, actually. Most of the time in the winter, I'd be in Australia or New Zealand or California. But uh, uh, they had some other speedway in Rhodesia after that, mm. which were promoted by Alex Houston and Trevor Redmond. But I was riding in Australia then, so I didn't ride in Rhodesia. Mm. But uh, it's quite good if you could make a career to follow the sun mm. and uh, just keep moving. Yeah, because uh, like I said before, is that the more track time you got, obviously the better you got and yeah, you know, yeah. different shapes and sizes. So yeah, things like yeah. that. You know, it's yeah. unfortunate that a lot of it was overlapping each other. Like you say, Rhodesia, Australia, California, <laughs> you know, it all overlaps, <laughs> unfortunately. You can't, you can't go around the world once sort of thing in, in, in that sort of time. <laughs> yeah. But another benefit of riding in Australia in the winter when you come back here and started riding here, you're already race fit. Yeah. Where a lot of other riders had to take a couple of meetings just to get back into the swing of it. So yeah. you had a bit of an advantage there. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, you have like a couple of weeks advantage, so you're getting your maximums in early, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so when you, when you rode in Australia, what were the sort of tracks that you rode out there? Was did you manage to ride like the Sydney Showground or Brisbane? Or yeah, I mean they're all. Big tracks because the cars, the car racing, sidecars, and the solos were just part of the whole event. Mm. Uh, most of like Melbourne, I think it was about 440 yards, and <laughs> Sydney Showground was bigger, and <laughs> Clermont over in Perth and Western Australia, that was huge. Mm. And it was so big, you could probably use a two speed gearbox, but <laughs> you put a big high gear on. And to get off the starting line, you had to have the bike revving really, really hard. Mm. But you just sit almost on the handlebars so that the bike pool would spin getting off the start. And then 
Ninja would sort of die and then pull you to the corner. Yeah. And after that, it was about 90 mile an hour. <laughs> and you sort of like hold on for dear life sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But as I say, we're mixed with cars and sprint cars mm. and saloon cars and uh, sidecar speedways. Mm. So there's a whole terrific programme for the for the fans. Mm. And sometimes it didn't finish till about midnight sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly got the money for that. Oh yeah, they did. They did. And I mean, I think wasn't it used to have like uh, six man races as well in some of these places? Oh yeah, I... the handicaps. Yeah, you do scratch racing at the beginning, and that's where I was very naive the first time I went to Melbourne. I didn't realise that the faster I was going in the scratch races, the bigger handicap they would give me in the second <laughs> half, and uh, <laughs> I got quite a big handicap in my heat in the second half and I won the heat so they put me even further back oh, God. in the final and uh, I think it was about half a lap behind I believe oh, right. about six or eight riders but not all good riders obviously mm. the ones up at the front were quite junior riders so you had to be quite careful because they tended to fall off a lot in front of you yeah. uh, so the, the handicaps were they're good, they're exciting, good for the crowd, but they were quite dangerous too. Mm. Yeah, because if you ride against the sort of like the riders, the lesser riders, you know, you could, yeah. they're so unpredictable. You know, like you said, they could fall off or they could retire in the middle of a straight and you've got to try and dart inside or outside and you know, yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah, you had all that. I mean, it happened to be at Kembla Grange in the handicap there. Uh, that track was so... Billy Sanders were riding there and he was... Oh, yeah. Very, very good. Mm. He was just starting, and he was really excellent around there. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> George Hunter didn't want to ride that meeting because the track was like ball bearings, it's too, too oh, slow. Right, okay. And <clears throat> in the handicap event, I was off the back mark again, and I sort of <clears throat> worked my way through. And on the last lap, only two fellas to, to pass. And I sort of took my time to weigh up, to go inside or outside. So I thought I'll do a big blast around the outside. And as I did that, the second rider hit the back wheel of the first rider and oh, turned no. right, went into me and put me straight into the wooden fence. So I think George Hunter had the right idea. Shouldn't have ridden. Yeah, yeah, he should. Yeah, he did the right thing. But uh, yeah. when you want to race, you want to race and you can't get it out of your head and you want to, want to do well. Yeah, as you know, a speedway bike, you can't really ride it slowly. You got to no, ride you can't. No. It doesn't go around the corners. No. Same with these golden grates that uh, you, you know, if you're a tennis player or a golfer, you can still compete until you're quite old. Mm. But a speedway bike, you've got to be quite fit. You've got to be able to turn the bike in the corners. And uh, as you say, it's opposite to a motorcycle. If you go in too fast to a corner and close the throttle, it turns right instead yeah. of left. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> you have to be strong enough to be able to wrestle the bike around the corners. Yeah, it's probably especially back in when you were riding, because obviously the machines were probably a bit more, a bit more grunty and a bit more violent sometimes. So like you said, with the Japs, you know, hit a bit of dirt and away you went, sort of thing. Yeah, for, yeah. Fortunately, the the jaw was sort of calmed it down a little bit, but they were still a bit unpredictable. They were. Yeah, I mean, I started as a novice on a Jap, hmm. and then progressed into. Java, and the difference between them was quite pronounced because the Java revved higher and it was easier to turn, much easier to ride. 
and easy to work on mechanically. <laughs> so, uh, you know, all these things eventually everybody changed over to the, to the Jawa. And uh, <clears throat> the Jap, well, you couldn't give the Japs away at that time, but now they're worth a fortune, really. Yeah. They're collector's items. They are collector's <laughs> items. Museum pieces. Again, back to the museum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've got a few of those here too. Yeah, I can imagine so. But uh, what was your sort of favourite engine? Did you prefer like the two-valve Jawa then or like the four-valve Jawa? I liked the two-valve Jawa. I had the four-valve Jawa, which was good. It was, and I had the Neil Street four-valve. Oh, yeah. It was also very good. Uh, but the Jawa four-valve was a bit top-heavy mm. on the top end. Uh, so you had to ride it quite, quite hard to get the best out of it. Mm. But probably... The two valve Java is easy to ride, easy to maintain, and uh, you could ride the whole season just working on it yourself. You didn't need super tuners to do work on it for you. <laughs> you do it all yourself. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but um, obviously, after you finish, you finish riding. You done the Golden Greats and things like that. We then yeah. saw you. Um, if I remember rightly, you were part of like the GP sort of scene for a little while. Um, doing the goggles and things like that. So, so how, how did that sort of thing come about then? Yeah, when I raced in California, uh, there's a lot of sponsorship there, like Bell Helmets used to give me helmets, and uh, one meeting the people from Scott Goggles, which is an American company from Sun Valley, Idaho, they were there and they're making special goggles that were deeper to fit over glasses. Oh, yes. So pairs of those to try. And uh, after that, I was using Scott. And then one season before I went back to Europe, to Britain, actually, I asked if there had anybody importing the goggles into England or into Britain, and they didn't. So I was the first European or British importer, really. So all the Scott goggles and Scott grips and clothing and stuff, I, I would bring in and start from there. Mm. And we had quite a lot of the riders sponsored on Scott, like Hans Nielsen and Eric Gunderson, quite a few. And at the GPs, I used to have like a, a race service and the riders who were using Scott could drop the goggles off who would fit new lenses or tear-offs or whatever they, they needed. All right. And that's all, it's all good, you know, good publicity because uh, mm. the product was good and everybody on the TV, you could always get close-ups of the helmet and goggles, did you? Yeah. So you could always see the big Scott name on the <laughs> So, and so that was, and from that distributorship, I'd got other products too, mostly on the motorcar side. Mm. And so a lot of the business, I had a, originally a retail shop, then we went purely trade wholesale, yeah. so warehouse and offices. And uh, we just supplied the trade, <coughs> but most of it was to the motocross side mm. and a little bit in Speedway. But I still kept, kept involved with Speedway too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like I say, I, I've seen you on the TV, and I think it was a few times where I started, you came up with, uh, like you had, uh, I think it was something like, like Andreas Johnson when he was sponsored by Scott because you had you had like your gloves yeah. on, you're cleaning them or whatever <laughs> like that, you know, and things like that. I thought it was pretty I, cool, but I always thought, because obviously I, I, I knew that you were Scottish and things like that, I thought, ah, oh, that's the connection there, Scott, Scott, yeah, yeah, yeah they've done well there, haven't they? <laughs> it did work out well. And I always used to try and make sure on the podium that the writers of the Scott Goggles write their yeah. neck. 
Yeah, that's it. Get the sponsors in. Yeah, yeah, always a good bit of publicity too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Ah, so it all came from you. That's what it was. Ah, we know now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. All all worked out okay. I mean, we did other things after Scott, and uh, when they started doing mountain bikes, we also imported mountain bikes, but that was a different type of business entirely. So we sort of gave that side away. Yeah. Uh, Scott do it themselves now. Yeah, fair enough. And, uh, <clears throat> no, there's other things like premier helmets and the Chervis plastic. So yeah, there's well, a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of things there. It sounds a bit like a nice little nice little business going on the side. They're keeping involved in speedway and everything. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, kept me involved and I could keep in touch with everybody, which was good. Mm. You know, and, most of the stuff was into motocross and enduro. Mm but still quite a lot into Speedway as well. Because yeah, obviously Speedway, Endura, Trials, you can still cross a lot of things over, you know, things like yeah. that, which is, which is good. Yeah, gloves, goggles, helmets, all mm. these things cross over. So, yeah. yeah. I still, you know, try and help a couple of riders too, if I can, you know, so mm. just... Yeah. To keep involved. <laughs> yeah, you, well, you just keep yourself involved, keep your, na- keep your nose in the old door and things like that and things like that nowadays. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. That's good. It's good to hear. But uh, obviously now it's a bit more of a quieter time, pre-pandemic anyway, you know, a bit yeah. more quiet, a bit more chilled out now and uh, just onwards and upwards with the museum. Does that mean that when we go back to the museum, we're going to see an extension built then? Because by the sounds of it, you're going to need one. <laughs> we do need one. I think we need to put another floor on top. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we can't go any bigger inside the museum, but... We've got some ideas to move some of the exhibits around just to make space for some other stuff. And uh, as I said, we're also building a new memorial garden just beside the museum, mm. uh, which has got plaques for all the riders who've passed away. Yeah. And uh, there'll be a new one will be opened there in June, actually. Mm. So there's a lot, a lot still going on, as I said, behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah, we would look, I think I'm sure everyone will look forward to seeing it when we uh, eventually get a chance to go back, you know, and, yeah. and see it all and everything. But um, I've got to thank you for your, your time tonight, Bert. It's time to wrap up the show, unfortunately. I mean, That's okay. No I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more other stories that you could probably tell us in, in, in the future <laughs> or something like that. Can I also get you on for another another episode to talk more? Or well, more than happy to have you back on the show. More than happy. Eddie Town, Neil, I quite enjoyed it, really. Uh, that's good then. That's <laughs> good then. Just next time, remember to put the subtitles up. You know, yes, I will do that. That's, that's that will go in the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, don't forget, folks. We're still doing this. <laughs> yeah, don't forget that you can still buy his books from all good retailers, yeah. probably. There you go. That's the plug. <laughs> but um, thanks for tonight, but I must do my little plug, which is that, uh, thanks for everyone for watching tonight, listening on the podcast. Um, like us, subscribe to us, follow us on everything. We're on Facebook and everything. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and loads of other podcast pla- podcast places. We've been added to new places most weeks now. But um, thank you, Bert, for tonight. It's been great fun and enjoyable. Hopefully you've enjoyed it as well. I have indeed, Neil. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's uh, it's been good. It's been fun. I just I hope everybody enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. So so do I. I'm sure everyone will enjoy it. But uh, yeah. take care, everyone. Take care, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye.